3: Peace to the planet. Charlemagne the God here. And you don't want to miss Hello
1: Somebody with Senator Nina Turner on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I love Hello Somebody simply because I love Nina Turner. She's fearless. I'm Nina Turner, hell-raising humanitarian, sister in the struggle, and recovering elected official. Listen to Hello Somebody every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What grows in the forest? Our imagination and our family bonds. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.
3: Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald. It is time to stop reading other people's success stories, and I can like always say every week, start writing your own. I always tell you, if you have gifts, leave with your gifts. If you have passion, leave with your passion. And don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. On Money Making Conversation, I have a lot of interviews with celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and people I like to call industry decision makers. My next guest is Gina Yashare. is releasing her first book, The Memoir, Handed. The British Comedian of Nigerian Heritage is the co-creator, co-executive producer, writer, and actress in the CBS hit series Bob Hobbs Abishola. Her book Cack Handed chronicles her odyssey. A journey, we can use the other term because she's funny and we're going to talk about her humor to America and breaking into Hollywood and this lively and humorous memoir and this I want to say, is uh, also um, informative. We should put that in there because it talks about history. Gina Yashere has appeared on I appeared on countless television shows, both in the U.K. and the U.S. She's on her way to being one of the great stars from Britain. And guess what? We share something. She performed on Deaf Comedy Jam and is the only British comedian to perform on Deaf Comedy Jam. I also performed on Deaf Comedy Jam. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation. Gina Yashere. Nice to meet you, Michelle. How you doing, my friend? Uh, let's, let's start with the wonderful. name. Let's start with the names, because that means, you know, my name's Rushon and, you know, as I was coming up through the business, I had so many people... Say my name different, and sometimes I let that slide because I just wanted to, I just wanted stage time. I wanted somebody to let me in the front door. So if you called me Rue, <laughs> Russian or uh, uh, Rasheen, I, I went with it, you know. And then it came to a point where Rashawn was my name, and I and I held to that. And then I corrected people. Talk about yeah. your journey with your last name, and also because I know it's important to talk about that because people don't understand that it comes with respect. It comes with also statue. Because once people start saying it right, that means you're elevating your game. Talk about your exactly, last
4: name. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. Obviously, my name is Nigerian. My parents are Ni- uh, from Benin City in Nigeria. And my name is Yashere, and that's how it's pronounced. Yashere. And it's actually spelt I-Y-A-S-H-E-R-E. But when I started doing comedy, uh, they kept mispronouncing the name and pronouncing the I, which is almost silent.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And so then, I uh, so I dropped the I from my name. So wow, because the, the I is almost is The I is silent, so I dropped the I <laughs> to help people pronounce pronounce it properly. And they still mispronounce it for a long time. I get called <laughs> Yashir, Yashu, like oh. So I have to make I I've, I've got this thing now. I go it's Yashare. Think Yash, hooray. And people, you know, so I, t- I can tell who has done their research before the show when they pronounced my name correctly. You did good, Rashad. You, you did good. I, like that. I, like that.
3: I like that. 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 It's almost like cheering your name because exactly. you, are, exactly. <laughs> you are a breath of fresh air. You know, you are a breath of fresh air. And we, we want to talk about a couple of things. We want to talk about the, because the, I was a sitcom writer. You know, I did. Uh, I did. Of course, I broke in with Steve Harvey on me and the boys on ABC. then I did Robert Townsend Parenthood and Sister, Sister with the Twins, Tia and Tamara Mowry. Oh, wow. Now, Fantastic. Then Jamie Foxx series. And I also did Monique's series, The Parkers. And so I so we I, I wanted to do this interview because of the fact that I felt we related a lot. But you just came yeah. from British and you have a Nigerian background, but we are both people of color. Which means that we also experience racism, also people passing over, us ignoring our talents. Talk about your journey a little bit from the writing side, the sitcom side, to get your story, your show, that you're a co-executive producer, that you co-created on the air on CBS.
4: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I never considered myself... A TV writer. I, I was like, I'm a stand-up comic. That's what I do. That's what I love. That's what I'm going to do forever. And I was hoping to become successful as that, hugely successful. I mean, I am successful as a stand-up comic. I've been mm-hmm. for quite a while. But that was all I wanted to do. I've never been crazy ambitious. Right. Uh, my dream was to be the best friend on someone else's sitcom <laughs> and use that stardom to sell out bigger comedy clubs and arenas. And that's all I wanted to do. Right. Uh, People were offering me gigs for years to write on TV shows and I was like, nope, I don't want a day job, I don't want to work for anybody else, Uh, I like working for myself, I don't, and I'd heard horror stories of the politics and things that go on in in writers rooms Mm -hmm. and I was like, I want no parts of that. So Mm -hmm. I avoided writing on a TV show from all my career. This show came out of the blue. I just got a call out of the blue from Chuck Lorre. My agent got a call saying Chuck Lorre of Big Bang Theory, Two and a Half Men, Mike and Molly, Kaminsky, Sheldon. He wants to meet you. And I was like, okay. And I was living in New York at the time, very happily doing my standup. Mm-hmm. I lived in LA for a few years struggled to make money and I was like, you know what, I'm going to New York because as a stand-up comic, I can make a living in New York. I'm Mm -hmm. going to New York. Mm -hmm. So I was living happily in New York for six years, had no plans to come back to Los Mm -hmm. Angeles. Mm -hmm. So I had this meeting, I flew over to LA to meet Chuck. I mean, originally I was like, well, they're flying me first class, right? I've just come off a long tour. Uh, (laughs) They're flying me first class and my agent was like, uh... They don't fly people first class because it's just for a meeting. And I was like, well then I'm not going. <laughs> there you go. So basically I knew my worth from day one. I was mm-hmm. like, if they really want to meet me, mm-hmm. I've Googled Chuck Laurie, I've Googled Warner Brothers. I see how much money they got. They could afford a first-class ticket. So I held out for that. Love it. And they did. They flew me first class for this meeting, and I walked into a meeting with Chuck Laurie, and basically he was like, <clears throat> Uh, I'm trying to make this show. I love Billy Gardell, who I made Michael Molly with. I want to do another show with him. But this time, I don't I don't want... I want the, the female protagonist to be a Nigerian woman. Wow! That was... So, I, and obviously, we, we're three white guys, because it was Chuck Lorre, Eddie uh, Gorodetsky, and Al Higgins, who were his main two collaborators on a lot of his stuff. And he was like, we're three white guys. We need you to sort of consult on all things African. Now... In, the, in my head, I was like, what? I, I was not feeling it at all. I was very suspicious. I was like, this feels exploitative. I've seen, you know, I've had ideas of mine stolen before. So I was not, I was not into it at all. But in the room, I was like, okay, interesting. Sounds interesting. Let me think about it. And I left and I called my agent and I was like, I don't want to do this. this. This sounds weird to me. Uh, they want me to consult on all things African. Sounds weird. Sounds racist. Don't want to yes. do it. Mm-hmm. But basically my, I have friends and family who, will call me up and tell me when I'm being an idiot. And my brother called me from London and screamed at me for two hours. My best friend called me from London, screamed at me for another two hours. I'm like, this is an opportunity. You complain about the industry and how you're not authentically portrayed. And now you've got an opportunity to do this and you're turning it down. And I was like, you know what? You're right. So I stayed in a room with Chuck and Alan Eddy. And we knocked out this pilot for the show. And I said to them, if I'm doing the show, it's going to be authentic. I, we want Nigerian actors to play a lot of the roles, you know, because when you watch TV and movies with Africans, the accents are always wrong. America seems to see Africa as a country and not a continent. Yes. There's a, lots of different countries, different languages, different religions, different traditions, different styles of dress, different everything. So I was like, if we're going to do this, I want it to be authentic. We're going to, I'm going to pick the tribe, I'm going to pick the language, I'm going to make sure that the actors, uh, at least most of the actors, are authentic so we get that vibe so Nigerians can watch it and and enjoy it and know that there's a Nigerian behind the scenes making sure. <laughs> I love it, Gina, correct. love it. So, and they were willing to listen. So I sat in a room and we, we wrote this pilot and I based a lot of the characters on members of my family, my mother, and a lot of the stories in the show are based on my stand-up and based on my family. And that's how I got into I didn't know if I could do this writing thing. I didn't know. I was like... Well, you're fantastic at it. A year, years as a stand-up, I knew how to build the characters. I knew where the jokes mm-hmm. were. And basically the rest of it, I picked up and learned as much as I could along the way. And that's how I got into it. <laughs> well, that's just beautiful,
2: Gina. It's finally here. The season of celebration. And no matter how you celebrate with family and friends, And in the spirit of giving, Kohl's Cares is donating $8 million to local nonprofits nationwide committed to the health and well-being of our communities. No matter how you celebrate, when you shop at Kohl's, you're right where you belong. So this season, give with all your heart with great gifts from Kohl's or Kohl's.com.
1: Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure in pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you, their fearless guide through this fascinating world.
0: Find a forest near you
4: and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the
0: Ad Council. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour.
1: If you could find a way.
0: To get inside. Each other's mind
3: I'm talking to Jeannie Yashare, She's the co-creator, co-executive producer of this hit CBS series, Bob Hops Shola. Now, I'm going to just tell you right now, you know, being in a writer's room with sitcoms, you know, and you were not wrong in your feelings. Somebody mm-hmm. comes in, they're white, and, and they're telling you they want you to be the, the official guide or voice for their African-Nigerian African, their African Nigerian character. Right there, I'm like, really? okay. Is this a joke, really? So I felt you, but see, they were right too because they said, well, go back and ask more questions because this is, you know, Chuck Laurie. You know, Big Bang Theory. The guy that the guy is super rich. We all know that, okay. And so, and, he's a he's and so, an absolute genius. And so, he really is. He really is. And so, and that's just a you know, uh, uh, two and a half men. Just a number of series he's done over the years. Because Bob Laurie has been around the longest I've been doing sitcoms. Back in nineteen ninety two, I've been writing those sitcoms. So when the show Bob Hart's Bob Hart's Abishola came about, and you did the pilot, did you ask for any additional writers of color on staff, or how did that work out?
4: Oh, absolutely. Um... I, I said to them, look, here's the thing. Uh, you've discovered me, but there's a lot of means out there. Wow. And uh, if we're going to make this show authentic, we can't be dealing with having a room full of the same old white guys that you've been working with for years. Yes. So uh, I wanted to make sure we got black writers in the room. But what I did, I did, I circumvented the normal way of trying to force them to take on black writers. What I would do was, uh, um, obviously I'm a stand-up comic, so I'd book a comedy club and I'd be headlining and I put my black friends on the shows, and mm. then invite Chuck and the guys to come to the shows. Yes. Yes. So yeah. I, I invited them to shows and I, I didn't tell my friends what I was doing. Cause I didn't want them to be nervous. And I just go, yeah, just come and open the show for me. I'm headlining. Come and do 20 minutes up in front of me. So I invited my friends onto the show and put them on the shows. And then I invited Chuck and Alan Eddie to my comedy show. Mm-hmm. And whenever they went, Oh Oh, we like that person. Uh, she's very funny. We really liked her. And I go, we're really good because she also writes. <laughs> <laughs> I, love you. I and then, love you. So I then set up meetings between these comedians that they liked and them. And that's how I got black, black writers on the show. So I got Gloria Bigelow, who is a stand-up comic in LA. That's how I got her on the show. I, I put her on my comedy night. They liked her. I was like, well, she writes. And... I put them together. They had a meeting. They loved her. And now she has been a writer from day one on the show. And that's how we did. And uh, then we went out and looked for young Nigerian writers and young black writers to put in the room. So that's, you know, I insisted that the room has to reflect the show. And they were open to it. They were open to it, which is fantastic. I don't want to be the only black writer in the room fighting. I need other black writers and I need women as well. I need a nice mixed room. And that's what we did. So I'm very proud of that. uh, that. And also when we were casting the show, I made sure that I sat in all the auditions. Mm -hmm. So when those black actors walked into a room, and saw me sitting there. They knew that they were not going to be asked to do any kind of coonery. You know right. what I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, these the actors the came I... up to me afterwards and, yeah. and said it was so good to see you in the room because it made us, it put us at ease
3: immediately. Hey, Gina, I really people need to understand the process that you're going through and being a who, person who's involved in sitcoms. Right there, yeah. it can lead to stupid jokes. It can move mm-hmm. to. I remember when Steve Harvey was doing sitcom, or me and the boys on his first sitcom. For some reason. And, you know, whenever he would just let out a loud scream, ah! then the audience in the stands would laugh. And so mm-hmm. the writers in the room suddenly would w- create moments. Won't you scream here? Won't you scream here? He said, why? Because the audience laughs. He said, that's not me. That was just a moment. That happened. And Mm so so people, you need, and plus, I love the fact, Gina, that you said, hey, I want more than my voice, because sometimes you don't want to be the person that leads everybody down this one line, and then you become an expert when you're really not. You're just Mm -hmm. a talented person who lives this particular particular life, and you need support. And that's Mm -hmm. what the writer's room is about, especially in sitcoms, because it's usually about just give people background information by 10 to 12 writers in a sitcom room. Because mm-hmm. you you pitch jokes, you pitch storylines. And I always tell people, and Gina will agree with this, you will write a script, and you may think that's an Emmy-winning script. You mm-hmm. give that script to the writer's room, and the only thing that's probably left on that script is the name of the script and your name.
4: <laughs> Am I right, Gina? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We've written stuff and then we'll go back in and it may change 100%, but the basic premise premise is there and we all pitch in to make it better. And sometimes I have handed in a script and go, that scene I wrote was fantastic. And then we work on it and I go all right, you're right, it's better now. It's, I hate to admit it, but it's better now. Absolutely. And, but that's, that's the whole
3: part about and I, yeah. I, I, by bringing a versatile talent like you on because making that transition from a stand-up comic to a writer and yeah. because the check, the money's good, everybody. I'm just oh. to letting you know. Oh. You get health benefits. And oh. I remember the first time I saw my check, I showed it to my oh. wife. She said, you getting paid all that? And I was just a staff writer. I I, I came on board as an executive story editor. You know that check's nice. That was back in 92, okay? That check was way nice back in 92. It's way better oh, now. Yeah. And so that's why, really, you might see the people in front of the cameras working, but sometimes the writers and the producers behind the cameras are actually making more money than the actors in front of the camera. Talk about that whole awakening because like you said you just wanted to do stand-up you just wanted to be on stage but then the awakening of getting that steady check getting insurance being validated as a producer and a writer opened so many more doors
4: and respect for your brand correct absolutely i had no idea i had no idea so you know but originally they brought me in as a consultant i was just gonna be a consultant Mm -hmm. and a couple of days in chuck was like you know what uh You can't just be a consultant. We need you to help us write this show. So they bumped me up to co-creator because I'd created the characters. I told them what the characters were going to be about, what they were going to do. So I literally created all the characters based on. So they kind of knew we can't do this without Gina. So Mm -hmm. they bumped me up to co-creator and producer. And so, you know, when those checks started coming, I was like, oh, my God, this <laughs> these white boys have been earning all this money all this time what have I been doing yes. wasting my life with this stand up stuff yes yes, yes. <laughs> but you know if we, we honestly, laugh we laugh but that's true me, I read myself in as an actor
3: because we're not able to be talking about that but we're talking about you got a separate check when you wrote a script Now, I know back in the day it was $16,000 per script. I don't know what it is now, but I'm pretty sure it's more than $16,000
4: per script. Yeah, I mean, and the checks just keep coming in. I've never seen anything like it. So, obviously, I get a check as a writer, a producer. Yes. Mm -hmm. I get an extra check as a co-creator. Yes. Then... I also, because I'm a comedian and I'm a performer, I wrote myself in as an actor. <laughs> I've always worked to be the best friend of someone else's sitcom. So when we started writing it, I was like, um, I think Abishola needs a best friend. What do you think, guys? I think she needs a confidant. And I created this character. They didn't know I was creating it for myself. Right, right, right. right. So right. I created this character. So, you know, you got all those checks plus the repeat fees, you know, during the pandemic. When there was a lot, not a lot, of material because a lot of shows got shut down. Our show got repeated a lot, and, uh, and these checks just kept coming in. And I mailbox like,
3: money, mailbox oh, money. Come on now,
4: my days, <laughs> oh my days. I, I'm like, this is madness. And I was like, no wonder all these white boys love being writers on shows because these checks keep coming. It just can, keeps, can I tell it's, you it's,
3: something, Gina?
4: <laughs>
3: uh, I still get checks from. Jamie Foxx show that's '98. Mm-hmm. I still get checks from Sister Sister that's '97. I still get checks from uh, from the Parkers that's 2000. So you those checks will keep coming, and that's yeah. why you go. How are these people living because they're living off residuals. They're living off of royalties. And I just feel it's such a blessing that Chuck really saw that and said, "Look, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna do right by you. Okay, I can have you sitting over here as a consultant." But the real money in the game is writing, co-producing, co-creating, putting your name in those different titles. A check comes with each one. And now yeah. it allows you to pay it forward with your other peers on the show and educate them about the process of Hollywood really works. Isn't that really the process you now know now you can
4: share how Hollywood works? Exactly. I'm learning as I go. And then as I learn, I, I, I call my, all my people and go listen this is what we got to do this is where the money's at we got to create we got to create this is everybody wants to be in front of the camera which is all good but you're at the mercy of the people behind the camera who are creating and writing those scripts now let's go back let's go back to
3: Let's go back to my favorite part of your career, stand-up comedy. Oh, yeah. uh, my degree is in mathematics. Okay, I graduated with you. are an engineer. So, like I said, I know we've never met, Gina, but I just feel that we have such a bond because we, we journey. I come from a big family, six sisters, mm-hmm. two brothers, Houston, Texas, and your book, Cack Handed, talks about... Uh, Nigeria, and it talks about polygamy. It talks about the British rule. It talks about mm-hmm. how people are considering uh, what you're doing to be sinful or a hellacious living a lifestyle of polygamy. But talk to about how that really was an advantage and also a sense of royalty. Like we joked off air that if my family, my mom and dad, especially my dad, was in Nigeria having Mm -hmm. six sisters and two two sons, (laughs) he was in great shape. Three sons, he was in great shape. So talk Mm -hmm. about that whole lifestyle. Then we want to come with your transfer over to London, England, how that lifestyle. And then we're going to talk about coming to America. Let's get started in Nigeria.
4: Yeah, I mean, obviously, polygamy was widely practiced. Uh, My grandfather had many wives and many children, and it was a a matter of survival. It was a matter of keeping a a closeness in the family. The whole family lived on one compound, and that's how it was. And it wasn't seen as sinful until white people came over and were like, what are you doing is wrong. It's sinful. praying to these deities. You're going to worship this white God and this white Jesus and basically force their religion and their lifestyle and their beliefs Mm -hmm. on the African people. Mm-hmm. And and basically a lot of our stuff got sort of watered down and lost over the years. And, and to a certain point, we've forgotten some of our original, um, you know, traditions because it got beaten and stolen from us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was where my family... So my mother came from that. My mother's father, she had lots of brothers and sisters from various wives of her father. Mm-hmm. And all the all the women lived on on a on compound. Now, it's not, it's not always happy you know, love and happiness, because my mother's mother was poisoned by one of the other wives because there was some jealousy. There's a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. My mother's mother was the first wife, and so she, you know, she was top of the hierarchy and was um, prone, she was, you know, prone to resentment from the other wives. Right, right. It was like an episode of Dynasty or something. (laughs) 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 It's it's like a real soap opera happening. But that was the tradition and that was the life that my mum came from. Mm -hmm. Um, But as a a daughter, which was kind of the patriarchy in Nigeria is very strong. So as a daughter, you know, a lot of the time the daughters weren't always educated. They were groomed for motherhood and wifedom. But because my mother was keenly intelligent, and her father was a well-travelled businessman, he was travelling all over Europe, travelling over the Americas, doing business. So he was quite an open-minded and a well-travelled guy, and he chose to educate my mother because he, he, he could see that my mother was extremely intelligent, and and she sent her to really good schools, and she was educated, and and my mother became uh, one of the youngest headmistresses, school you know, school principals. In Nigeria, she was in a, a school principal before she was 24 years old. Right. So she was highly educated, and uh, eventually she ended up coming to England to further her studies. And it was in England that she met my father. But so but, my but, father, but,
3: but but basically, she was kind of like forced to go over there, right? When her
4: When, yes, her, when she was kind of kicked when out. her <laughs> mother was killed by the other wives. Yes,
3: yes, yes. Because
4: she was so educated and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so beloved by her father, my mother, her, her mother had begged, you know, her father to send her away. Yes, he did. That she she was in danger from the other wives. Yes, she did. Because they were envious of her education and the fact that she was so beloved by her father. So after her mother died, her father was like, okay, and sent her to England and said, look, here's money. Go to England, further your studies, make a life in England. Because, you know, England was seen as the motherland. Nigeria was a British colony. Right. So... England was seen as the motherland of Nigeria. So a lot of Nigerians wanted to go to England to study, gain those qualifications and then come back and bring their their new qualifications back to Nigeria and help build the country. So my my, my grandfather sent my mother to England to study and and that's where she was and that's where she met my father and that's where my history begins. Well, your history—well, your history is great history, you know. And the cack handed. Let's talk about that,
3: Tyler, because I want to go. I'm talking to Gina Yashere. You know, she's the co-executive producer. She's the co-creator, actress, co-starring on the series Bob Hart's Bob Hart's Abishola, which is a CBS hit series. Now, when when I talk about this about you in general, um, what I want to make sure people understand is that cack handed is a word for clumsy or awkward. You know, she's left-handed. That's what. Cack means left in the British uh, terminology. So, when I what, what word are we leading with? Is we leading with the word awkward tied to cac? Uh, we leading the word clumsy tied to cack? or just out of uh, fish
4: out of water. Which
3: one of those terms is?
4: Oh, there, there are so many meanings for the book. So as you you said, uh, cack handed is a British old British word for left handed. Mm-hmm. Also means clumsy and awkward, which I don't believe we are. I think we're living in a right handed <laughs> world, so we're perceived as clumsy if i'm at a bar and i'm next to you and i'm talking and i'm gesticulating with my left hand i'm going to knock over your drink because you've put your drink on with the right hand side of your body which is your dominant hand <laughs> my left hand is my dominant hand i'm going to knock your drink over and then you're going to call me clumsy but it's not it's a right-handed world and and i'm just clumsy in it because everything is catered For right-handers. So that's why cack-handed means it's clumsy and awkward. It also talks about my journey. My journey's never been straightforward. I've had to duck and dive and weave and and circumvent um, various obstacles that have been put in my way. So that's also another meaning of cack-handed in that my journey has been unconventional. Uh, Also, cack is another word for poo. I don't know if you knew that. No, I did not Uh, know that. Not in my research. I didn't know that in my research. You know I was researching you, girl. Yeah, (laughs) in uh, many cultures, African culture Middle East, culture, the left hand is the hand that's supposed to be the one that's used to wipe your bottom after you do a poo. So cack is another word for poo. So cack basically means poo-handed. So there are very, and and as a Nigerian, because my family's African, I was born left-handed, Uh, for a long time I was forced to write with my right hand because the left hand is seen as unclean. And even in the Bible, you know, there's terms that say, you know, Jesus sat on the right-hand side of God. The right hand is always the good side. The left hand is always seen as unclean. So when I was a kid, yeah, I was forced to write with my right hand, forced to cook with my right hand, forced to do it. So if my mum walked into the kitchen and I was stirring a pot of food with my left hand, Mm I'd get a slap around the head and all that food would go in the trash and we'd start again. So hence, that's why the title of the book is that because it encompasses various aspects of my life and my journey. Wow. You're amazing. Uh, uh, I want to wrap up by asking a couple of more questions.
3: One, why did you write the book? Because this is a memoir, you know, and a memoir is usually told uh, you want people to be motivated by your story, which I am motivated by your story, but why did you write the book? And also, become relatable i felt a lot of your story was relatable like because if in the beginning you know we are built you know you may be in london england but you dealt with racism just like i deal with racism in america and sometimes we don't understand that there's a black lives matters movement in in london as it is in america talk about the importance of the memoir and also talk about how timely this book is because it also is a history lesson book it walks through the path of how basically you can say that you know nigeria was uh was uh, was undermined and basically uh, uh, robbed, and the, the jewelry and the success and the wealth was brought into British museums. So exactly. talk about that and help us out as as we as we I recommend people to pick up this book because it is an amazing book. Cack handed.
4: Yeah, I mean, why I wrote the book, originally it started off as just on Instagram, there was a hashtag throwback Thursdays where you yes. post old pictures. Mm-hmm. And I was posting old pictures and writing the story behind the picture. So I post a picture and write an elaborate post explaining the history behind the picture. And people were really interested in it saying, oh, my God, your story is so good. Why don't you write a book? So I started keeping those posts in a folder. And eventually a literary agent saw my post and contacted me and says, uh, you need to write a book. So I, you know, I kept the post and like, well, maybe one day in the future I'll write a book, but I never really considered that this would happen so soon. So that's how the universe worked. And I wanted to talk about my history because people don't seem to realise that the UK started slavery, imperialism. The United Kingdom ruled most of the planet at one point. So people think that American racism is the be all and end all of racism. No, Americans learned that from the Brits. Mm -hmm. Americans came from the Brits. Yes. What we don't, what you you know, you don't realize that a lot of the black people that are from the the islands, Jamaica, Barbados, Trinidad, St. Lucia, these are all. Caribbean descendants of slaves. The British did their slavery slightly different from America in that I I used to do a routine on stage where I did that. The the British did an equivalent of the Americans did the equivalent of going, robbing someone's house, as in stealing people from Africa and bringing them back home to their own house. The Brits did the equivalent of stealing stuff, but keeping it in other people's houses. (laughs) Yes went to Africa and stole black people. They didn't bring them all to England. They hid their dirty doings and put the black people on Caribbean islands to, for, the, for the sugar plantations and they were on Caribbean islands. And that's where all those black people who come from those islands are descendants of slaves. So when African-Americans, you know, there's been a discord for a long time between African-Americans and people coming from Africa yes. or people coming from the islands. Our history is almost identical. Black people in the Caribbean Ella, suffered exactly the same cruelty, exactly the same awfulness that they did on American land, on plant plantations within America. So what I wanted to do was when I wrote the book, I started with the history of Africa, Nigeria in particular, and the history of what Britain did to Africans and how they spread Black people all over the world. That is not The Belgians were the uh, terrible slavers. The Dutch... South Africa, you know, all of it. So I just wanted to show the commonality between black people wherever you end up in the diaspora. We've all had very similar experiences. Our accents might be different. We might speak different languages, but the experiences are very similar. Um, so that's part of the history wow. at the beginning when I explain that. And then when I talk about my upbringing in England, I was also... England, people think, oh, England, is so genteel. Racism doesn't, England, well, you're now discovering it with what happened with, uh, you know, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. Mm -hmm. But racism is just as prevalent in Europe as it is in America. I spent my life running away from skinheads being abused racially at work, being pulled over by the police all the time for no reason. The only reason that less black people die at police hands in England is because our police do not carry guns on a routine basis. Mm-hmm. They only carry guns for for, uh, for for particular incidents where they are then have given special permission to have. They do not carry guns on a daily basis. And that is the only reason The black people are not dying at the hands of police at the same numbers in England as America. The only reason, the police in America are just as racist as the ones in England, the ones in England just as racist as America. So I wanted to cover some of that in my book. I mean, there's obviously humor. I'm a comedian, I want to make you laugh. So I'm also talking, you know, putting, injecting quite a lot of humor in the book. But I wanted uh, Americans reading the book to see that we have, black people have much more in common all over the world than we've been led to believe.
3: You are amazing, Gina Yashere. Her book, Cack Handed, is a memoir about her life, her journey. She's also CBS star. I'm going I'm move I'm a movie up to star, star of Bob Fox Show. Take that. Come on. I'll take that. She's a comedian, writer, <laughs> co-producer, co-creator. Thank you for taking the time to come on Money Making Conversation, Gina. You're amazing. Oh.
4: Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking
3: forward to this. Thank you. All right. Fellow Def Jam, Comedy Jam members, you keep winning now, okay? Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Thank you, Gina, for coming on Money Making Conversation. Gina Yashere. If you want to see or hear any of my interviews for Money Making Conversations, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host.